Welcome back to another edition of Step Back Sisterhood. Picking up where we left off, we are introducing ourselves today. I'm joined with Brittany Wilbur. How are you today? I'm good, Hurt. I hope everyone is doing well. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and get started on telling everyone about myself, or at least a little bit about myself and my basketball background. So the earliest memories that I have when it comes to basketball is uh, my family moved to the Houston area when I was almost or just around five years old. And that was the same year that the Houston Rockets won their first championship. I remember it pretty vividly because my parents, um, our, our family lived downtown. Uh, my dad or well, technically up downtown in the Galleria area because my dad, um, he was working for a company called Shell. I think a lot of people know who that is, the gas company. And that's why we moved down to the Houston area. And ultimately, um, I remember that we were close to the parade route. So we were able to see the parade and like all the confetti and everyone super excited and being there for the first championship back in um, 93, 94 was just so exciting. And that's what really inspired me to be a fan of basketball. Um, I never really played basketball. I did try out a couple of times. I just wasn't that good. Um, I mean, I didn't win a championship like Amber did, of course, um, but I always tried to at least play, you know, a little bit of sports. Um, and then I, I guess at some point I realized that I, I just wasn't going to be someone who could play sports or, um, so I decided instead just to focus on my studies, but I was always interested in basketball, um, and always interested in football before then, um, so when it came to when I actually became a, I think a diehard Rockets fan was a little bit after call. Well, while I was in college, in fact, so a lot of the times when it came to watching basketball, since a lot of the games were on, you know, cable and my parents uh, until like midway through um, high school didn't really have enough money to have the packages. I didn't really see a lot of the games unless it was during the playoffs or during the finals when it was on um, regular TV. And then later on when it came to, you know, just watching the game, I I felt that it wasn't as interesting to me. Um, I went to a few games, but that was really it. Um, what really inspired me was after um, – college and then starting my first job, I actually had enough money to go to games a little bit of regularly. So I had um, a half season um, t- or ticket package with the Rockets. So I would go to the games whenever I could. Um, I had like the weekend package. So like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when there were games that um, that way I would go to those games. And it was really exciting just to be at the uh, arena. And I feel like when it comes to basketball, it's much more interesting to me just being in person, even though I'm a very introverted person, just being there in person and just experiencing everything is just fun. Um, and from there, I eventually got um, a full season package and I was a season ticket holder for multiple years until I actually moved out of the <laughs> Um, Houston area because I no longer live there. I live in the Bay Area. Um, 
And I think that's really the biggest thing is that I, I just love the Rockets and I love just watching the NBA, um, especially when it comes to just figuring out how the sport, you know, I feel like it's a lot faster than football in certain aspects. And there's a lot of things that to think about when it comes to both analytics, but then just like the standard eye test um, and talking to people as well. Um, I don't think I know everything about basketball and being able to learn from folks about, you know, sort of their sort of viewpoint about the game, even if it's something that I don't necessarily agree with, it's something that I um, absolutely enjoy. So I think that's more or less, you know, my background in a nutshell on why I love basketball and why I'm, you know, generally a fan of the Rockets. What are your favorite eras of the Rockets that you've watched? So I guess my bias would be showing, but of course the back-to-back championship era with Akeem and with Sam Cassell and with Drexler the second year, I think that's my favorite uh, above anything else. Um, just being there, you know, sort of in person, but at least being in the area and just loving the team and having everyone love the team at the same time definitely influenced my love and passion about the, um, you know, about the Rockets and about the organization itself. And to be honest, even though there's been a lot of um, sadness associated with it, this sort of uh, era with Harden and until recently Maury being the GM has definitely been uh, my favorite as well. There were a couple of years there Right after I graduated from college, um, that quite frankly just weren't that good at all. It was right after when Yao got injured really for the last time and he tried to come back and he wasn't able to. And T-Mac essentially quit the team after being injured a ton. That era was really just a low point in the franchise and being able to experience for the last decade or so or close to a decade a team that has continued continuously been successful even though they weren't able to you know win a ring and I think that the window is relatively closing it's you know sort of sad in some aspects and we can probably get into it at a later time but at the same time it's it's been you know I think it's been relatively fortunate because there I mean all Ultimately, only one team can really win a championship, and I can't complain if the team that I'm um, following is, you know, one of the last four to eight teams that are in the playoffs towards the end of the season every year for, you know, most of my uh, adult, you know, life. So I guess that's more or less it. Uh, what would it take, in your opinion, for to for the Rockets to get over the hump? And should they uh, take a gap year this coming season? I'm not sure. And I don't think they're going to take a gap year because of the ages of Harden and Westbrook. But to answer your question, how they can sort of get over the hump, I, I think that they need to get some role players that surround Harden and Westbrook that have some playmaking ability. So, you know, we sort of hope that Gordon, um, Eric Gordon could be potentially one of those people, but he never really matured to that, um, 
um, extent, and he also had a lot of injuries. I feel like Jeff Green sort of did that to a certain extent this season, um, but it was a little bit, you know, too little too late when it came to that. And I, who knows if he's going to re-sign with the Rockets since he is a free agent, um, or if he's going to, you know, find some other place to find, or, you know, to sort of go to. Um, and then I think it's just because of the age. Um, you mentioned would they take a, a gap year? I don't think so. And that's mostly because, you know, Harden and Westbrook, also PJ Tucker and even Covington, who's almost 30 years old, they're all on, you know, almost in the back end of their career. I, I don't necessarily think that they're past their peak. Uh, maybe Tucker is past his peak, but definitely when it comes to Westbrook and Harden, there's going to, there, there aren't a lot of years left where they could both be top stars and try to win their first championship. So the short answer is no, they're not going to take a, a gap year, but because of their contract situation and the salary cap situation with the team, I, I don't know if they can do anything fundamentally to change things in order to, you know, try to get over the hump, so to speak. I think a lot of it's going to just have to be a mixture of them, you know, getting those small pieces that can help out and then a little bit of luck to avoid some of the, you know, getting the, you know, essentially the team that made it to the NBA finals every single year for the last four or five years. Why do you think that they decide to trade Clint Capella during the season? What are your thoughts on that? I think there were a number of things that factored in and I don't think it was necessarily a mid season, like, quick decision. So if everyone recalls during the playoffs during 2019, Clint had a really rough run. It was, and it wasn't all his fault. He had two, he, he had like two viruses at the same time um, and was like very sick for essentially the whole first round. And then during the second round versus the Warriors, he just couldn't keep up. Um, and I don't know if it was the fitness issue because of being ill for such a substantial amount of the playoff run, but he just for, you know, not just for the 19th playoffs, but the 18th playoffs as well. There were times where he just wasn't good enough to, uh, with the other centers, even with centers that were backups on the team. Um, I think Looney completely made him look awful during that playoffs and a lot of folks just didn't think that he did enough. Um, and then as a result, I, I think that during the, you know, season, the Rockets realized that the current construction of the team wasn't going to take them as far as they needed to. And there had to be something that was changed. Um, I don't know if it was because of, you know, Tillman and um, I don't want to go uh, much into Tillman. I feel like I say this all the time, but I, I have a lot of very strong thoughts about him. But in general, when it comes to the Rockets and how they were constructed last season, they, they weren't going to be as successful as they needed to. And one of the only you know, salary options that was available and was tradable was Capella. And I, I think that was ultimately the reason why they traded him. Now, if it was a good decision or not, I, I don't know. Um, and 
I think it, it was probably the best decision because Capella was actually injured for most of the season and didn't even play for the Hawks for the entirety of the time that he was there once they were tra- you know, once he was traded. I mean, it also didn't help that they weren't in the playoffs or in the seeding games because the season ended shortly after. So I, I don't know. It, it, it was surprising to a certain extent, but it, it sort of wasn't, I, I don't know how to really explain it other than that. Um, it, I think it was just, you know, a sort of a last gasp situation and they didn't really have much that they could do other than that. I have a question to go kind of back to you and you're one of the people who on Twitter, I like reach out to when I have questions about the CBA and kind of like how the, uh, the business side of basketball works. What about that uh, angle of the NBA and of basketball? Uh, what 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 got you interested in all of that? I guess to be honest, it would have to be because of the way the Rockets handled. Um, I guess past tense right now because I really don't know who um how the current GM, who's Raphael Stone, is going to handle the uh basketball end of th- or the basketball business end of things. Um, but the way that Maury and his former staff sort of used analytics and sort of statistics to handle the, you know, how different, you know, how to, you know, do trades was very unique and being able to understand that um, as a fan was sort of vital when it came to the rocket situation. Um, so I, I think that's really what caused me to be interested in it. Um, as for, you know, why I continue to be sort of that way, I, I think it's just, you know, sort of my personality type. Like I said, I'm, I'm relatively introverted, but I sort of understand math to an extent. Um, I can't say I'm that good. In fact, I got like D's in math and stati- most classes, but I can generally understand like business practices and things like that. So it's, it's just interesting to me how, um, you know, um, you know, a basketball, the NBA decides to handle business because it's so unique compared to other businesses and organizations, even between, you know, different sporting sport, um, sport leagues. Those are all, you know, differently handled. So it, it's just interesting. Um, but I, I think it's ultimately because of Maury and how he sort of structured different salary situations um, during his time on the team. Is it fair to say that Maury leaned too much into analytics versus having a nice balance between the conventional eye test and analytics or even using analytics more so as trends as far as performance go versus then, I mean, versus um, planning your your team or planning game plans around it? I would say it's not fair to say that. Um, and I think a lot of it is just, I, I think to a certain extent, yes, that he did um, and has, I, I don't know if he'll change as a result of being, you know, he was recently named president of basketball operations for the 76ers. Um, but when he was the general manager for the Rockets, both his, you know, the previous 
um, governor slash owner of the organization, Les Alexander, and Tillman Fertitta, who's the current owner of the Rockets. They both put a lot of restrictions when it came to how he could um, use the salary. Um, when Les Alexander was owner, in fact, he said, you know, straight up to um, Maury when he was hired that he could not tank. So, and that was when the Rockets were sub 500 for multiple seasons in a row. He wasn't, you know, most teams, I mean, you could even look at, you know, some of the teams that happened, you know, some of the things that happened this season, they're, you know, easily and willing to just tank whenever they wanted to. But um, Maury wasn't really able to do that. And I think that sort of philosophy sort of lends to analytics because then it's like, okay, I need to find the best value for the team based on, you know, what can be, you know, these hidden gems. I mean, that's ultimately how they were able to sort of get James Harden to how he is today and even get James Harden on the team because people didn't necessarily expect for him to show what kind of brilliance he was, he has. Um, so I think that, yes, um, to a certain extent, there's some things that Maury needs to learn when it comes to understanding, you know, more of the quote unquote eye test when it comes to, um, basketball itself. But I think a lot of people ignore that he was sort of set in this sort of process because of the monetary situation that the ownership of the Rockets put him in. And that's a gem right there. That's something that I didn't even realize. About the not tanking? Yeah, about not tanking in the situation that they were in. So, I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, huh? And if it was analytics and for him to lean into it, so be it. I mean, I, I didn't know that myself. That's, that's very insightful. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sort of ignore that too. Like they assume that everything has to be analytics and you can even look at it like Chris Paul, for instance, he wasn't like, if, if every, if everyone was right and they were saying everything has to be threes, then why did Chris Paul take as many, um, of his, you know, padded in, um, mid range shots as he did, you know, during any other time of his career when he was a part of the Rockets? Um, Maury's philosophy has ultimately been like, you know, making threes for folks who have the same percentage at three pointers at two pointers is fine. But if you're exceptionally good at a certain aspect of basketball, that's fine to continue to do that. Um, and so that's why I say it's not fair to necessarily say he needs to, you know, I think there's things that he needs to improve on, of course. And I think the sunny Sixers will allow him to do that because they'll actually spend money versus the Rockets. Um, but I think that's really sort of the bottom line when it comes to it. I really like that you guys have ha- hired a coach, that the Rockets have hired a coach because OKC has not. <laughs> so <laughs> how do you feel about the hiring of Steven Salas? Because he's been in the league since 2002. Uh, his father, Paul, was a great coach. One of those groundbreaking coaching, um, one of those groundbreaking African-American coaches in the NBA. So how do you feel about the hiring of Steven Salas? I am extremely excited. Um, like you mentioned, Amber, you know, Steven has a pedigree of coaching. His father, Paul, was, you know, a coach and a former player. Um, and 
Steven has been around the league since, you know, almost literally his birth since he was a kid, a toddler, he was around the league. So for him to be able to, you know, take his sort of knowledge and uh, I think, you know, I've read it several times from several folks who were coached by him that he is extremely hardworking and extremely prepared when it came to everything and be able to bring that over to the Rockets is very exciting to me. And I think the, you know, there's two other things that's really exciting is that he, you know, he was the one who was the innovator or he was the um, orchestrator for the Dallas Mavericks offense that had the highest um, offensive rating in NBA history last season. And he also, you know, sort of extremely impacted Luka Doncic. I mean, Luka even said that on Twitter himself, uh, how much Steven Silas uh, impacted him as a player. And, you know, I'm going to be blunt here, but Luka Doncic, Doncic is basically a clone of James Harden, or at least, you know, if I'm going to be nicer about it, he has a similar play style as Harden, and he has taken uh, inspiration from Harden's play style. So to, you know, have a coach who uses, who, you know, was an innovator and used a lot of the same philosophies as Mike D'Antoni, um, but also is, you know, considerably younger and a lot more flexible it seems like when it comes to his play style and to bring him over to the Rockets is awesome and I think it's also awesome that the Rockets brought in a black coach and now the Rockets have both a black coach and a black GM as part of the franchise and that's one of the few team you know few organizations that has that um so I'm I'm really excited and I I'm interested to see how the Rockets build the you know, the bench around the, um, around Steven, especially since it seems like there's a lot of super coach teams, um, instead of super player, you know, a super, um, team, there's now like super coach teams that are around the league. It'd be interesting to see who they hire to support him as his first year as a head coach of the Rockets. But I think that's really it. So um, when it comes to my sort of thoughts, um, Tara, do you want to introduce yourself now, next? Yeah, sure. I, um, But now I'm excited about the Rockets. Um, I'm a Blazer fan, but you really have got me a lot to think about for being excited for the Rockets. And just the same way, you know, I'm anxious to see what Golden State Warriors and what OKC does next year. But uh, I am a Blazer fan, like I said, uh, born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I was now last week, a couple of you times, a couple of y- y'all said that you're giving away your age. I'm like definitely going to give away my age. So I was seven or eight, eight years old when the Blazers won their one championship hmm. um, in 1977. I was babysitting for my next door neighbor so that he could watch the game. Um, but I didn't really become a huge fan myself until I was in um, early in college. I actually was a soccer player. I didn't play basketball, but I was played competitive soccer player, uh, you know, most of my life when I was a, uh, in high school, or sorry, when I was in college, kind of embarrassed to say it, but it is what it is. I got into basketball because my boyfriend watched basketball, um, but it was fascinating. And so I watched it along with him. And I re- distinctly remember watching the uh, one of my first games, watching the Portland Trailblazers playing the Detroit Pistons in the NBA finals and watching Bill Lambeer come out there with that face mask on and thinking, 
this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was absolutely hooked uh, watching that series. And so that uh, Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Jerome Kersey, Kevin Duckworth, Buck Williams, that's my team. That was the team that made me fall in love with basketball. I know that everybody, uh, that, or at least last week, uh, Janelle and Amber talked about being Michael Jordan fans, but I was like all in on Clyde Drexler. Uh, just so exciting and so fun. And it was funny because just a few days ago, I listened to him on a, he was a guest on a podcast and just listening to that, like super positive, super bouncy, like always enthusiastic voice and attitude that he has. I can see why I was, why I, why I was really drawn to him. Um, at the same time over the summer, back when there was no basketball and they were playing all the old games and I was watching all these old games and I'm realizing that I did not appreciate Terry Porter enough at the time because that dude is such a good ball player. He's such a good point guard. So those two really kind of set the bar for me. Of course, now I get to enjoy being a fan of Damian Lillard, which is amazing. I feel like I'm just lucky to live during a time where we have some of the leaders, including Damian, in the NBA. Um, I'm a person who is into the NBA because – I'm super interested in the players and their stories. So like I didn't have the experience of playing it myself. So I've really had to like uh, teach myself more about the game. And so I read as much as I like possibly can about how the game is played, how it's coaches, what are plays. Like just the other day I was like on, there's a, that website that has the like, what all the play, the encyclopedia, looking up a bunch of play names because I didn't know what they were. So I'm constantly just trying to learn more about the game. So hey, that's a little bit about me. Since you've been reading about the game and, you know, your experiences in the game, what has been the uh, most difficult part of learning more about the game? Trying to watch 10 people all doing something so fast. I mean, the game is so fast and it never stops. So just training my brain to watch for plays that people who played the game, like, take for granted. Like, it took me a really long time to figure out what ice was. And I had to, like, go watch all these videos about what, you know, what's the ice player, you know. And, um, but what I, what I've been doing is I'll, like, go to NBA.com and I'll watch, like, you know, all of Damian Lillard's assists in January and just watch them over and over and over and over again. And I'm just kind of, like, trying to train myself to watch for things that to other people who played the game are like perfectly natural. Um, I guess I'll go next. So um, during my, you know, sort of spiel, I mentioned that I was interested um, in the Rockets when Clyde Drexler was on the team. How did you feel when Drexler was traded to the Rockets and were you happy that he at least won a championship? So really early on in my being a fan of the Blazers, I learned that everything that I love eventually goes to Texas. And <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were very happy for Clyde. They under, they, they weren't happy, you know, that he wasn't in Portland, but they understood while he left. And I think as long as I have like an understanding of why he made the decision that he did, like when, um, not long after that, Jerome Kersey left and went to San Antonio. And I remember very clearly 
watch listening to the Blazers lose a game against San Antonio, San Antonio moving on to the next round where they eventually won. And I remember the local broadcaster, Bill Shonley, saying, congratulations, Jerome. Now go get your ring. And then a few years later, LaMarcus Aldridge decides to go to San Antonio. <laughs> so um for me, like I always feel like I'm just lucky that these players pass through Portland because Portland's kind of on the edge of the world. Like we're so far away from everywhere else um, that I just feel lucky when a player like Clyde Drexler has time in Portland or a guy like Jerome Kersey or a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge. Now, you mentioned you like Damian Lillard. I'm going to ask you this question because I've never got to talk to a, a huge Portland Trailblazers fan before. So I'm going to ask you this question. Did you know who Damian Lillard was before he got drafted? Oh, no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm sure that there's people out there who would be like, yeah, I had him on my draft board. I didn't even know what a draft board was at the time. I just knew that when that young man put the ball in his hands, stuff happened. And Portland went through a couple of years. I mean, every team has rough. There's always something rough going on. But Portland had just lost Brandon Roy. And that was, like, super hard because his time here was – so brilliant and so short that the fact that somebody like Damien could come along and like assume that vital of a role that quickly was just thrilling. But yeah, I had no, no, I didn't even know that Weber state exists. I didn't know what Weber state was. So I guess I got lucky. <laughs> I asked that because people, you know, when players get drafted to teams, Right. And they're like, I don't know who they got. You know, they boo on draft night. If you watch the draft, they'll boo a player on draft night. Like, boo, we didn't want you to take them. So I asked you that question because he does come from a smaller school. So does CJ McCollum. So they come, you got these two little guys from these two small schools and they're just amazing together. Mm-hmm. So I asked you that question for a reason. Cause a lot of people don't know who their teams are drafting. They have no clue. But they'll boo them anyway. They don't know who the guy is, but they'll boo them anyway. They, they just don't care. If it's not the guy that everybody knows, they'll boo him. So I'm, I'm glad that you have appreciated Dame for where he's come from and appreciated his greatness because I'm a huge Damian Little fan as well. Yeah, and I'm kind of like that with all of the players that come to Portland. I often, you know, have no idea who they are when Portland – I almost never have any idea who they are when Portland drafts somebody – I often, because Portland is usually, Portland is pretty well known for like finding guys who were maybe not meeting their potential with one team, i.e. on the bench, possibly deep on the bench. So a lot of times I hadn't even heard of people before they, I don't know who Al Farouk Aminu is before he came uh, to, to Portland. But what I love is getting to know the players when they do get here. That's like my favorite thing is learning about the players. Cause I feel like I have a new family member. And so my attitude, like when they move on to Texas, eventually is more like, you know, I'm just glad that they were here. And I feel like, you know, when my kids grew up and went off to college, like good for you, go live your life. Um, and never forget me. <laughs> Don't forget your time in Portland. We, we appreciated you while you were here. Okay. You mentioned, you know, Clyde Drexler and Jerome Kersey and, uh, 
the, the OG Blazers, so to speak. Uh, do you remember the Blazers with Stoudemire on it, Rasheed Wallace, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr? And what do you take away from that era? I think that era has been pretty underrated. Yeah, that's a really great question. And it, that's one that gives me a lot of, I have to think about it a lot because, so there are a couple things going on with my Blazer fandom is that in like the late nineties, I had three kids in four years. So <laughs> I was suddenly very busy, just like chasing children around for several years. Um, and then I became, um, once, you know, after they were a little bit older, I became their full-time chauffeur. So I drove around constantly. And while I was driving around, that's when I started listening to games on the radio. And that would have been about starting with the, those years as I started, uh, you know, in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s, just every night listening to Blazer games constantly on the radio. So I don't actually have a lot of visual memories of those times. They're all from like driving around and waiting at soccer practice. Um, but also when I think about those times, especially with Rashid, I really did not understand where Rashid was coming from. I don't know if any of you ever been to Portland, but what they say about me, it being a very white city is very true. Um, and as a you know white person in this city, I did not understand a lot of the experience that a lot of the basketball players in our town like had gone through before they got to our town, and then what the experience was like when they were in their town. So like I just thought that Rashid was just like asking for trouble. I mean that's really what I thought. I just thought why do you have to like you know argue with the refs all the time? Like oh, and I just I didn't understand more of the nuances of what were going on with like the refs and people like, you know, holding things against him and, you know, personally taking things out. And it's been really interesting for me the last few years to just kind of think about my reaction to those years. Like I, Damon Sotomayor was like, grew up in Portland and we were like, you know, he came back, you know, um and so it was exciting to have somebody come back. But all I remember is, you know, you know, the, the drug charges. And in those days, like, I thought it was like, yeah, like, I I mean, I, I won't call them that because like, I just, I feel like it was unfairly put on. I mean, some of them, there were definitely people on that team who had um, like serious charges and allegations against them. But then there were other guys, you know, who, put their pot in their pocket or got, you know, caught hotboxing in their car and like, you know, that's life. Right. So anyway, I did not appreciate that team as much as I should have, or I, I don't appreciate them as much as I wish I had at the time, partly because I was busy and a lot because I just simply didn't understand the world at the time. And I, would give just about anything to be able to go back and watch them with fresh eyes because I know that they were just a super exciting team. And I remember listening to J.R. Ryder being like interviewed years later and him saying, I don't understand. I don't understand what happened. And me thinking like, well, what you guys were just, you know, messing around all the time. But like now I just, I wish I could just go back and watch the whole thing with fresh eyes again. And he- we like to say here on the Step Back Sisterhood that our history is intertwined. 
Pippen was a Houston Rocket, and then he got traded to Portland. So it, it just ties in. Yeah, I really liked Scottie Pippen when he was in uh, when he was in Portland, and I like him now a lot. And it was funny because when he was traded to Portland, it was a seven player trade. <laughs> There were seven players on the Blazers that they traded for Scottie Pippen, which I thought was amazing. And one of them was Stacey Ogman. Stacey Ogman, and then the Houston Rockets uh, cut him, and then we got him back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think – so, I, I guess I don't want to bring up anything any too negative, but you mentioned earlier about – Brandon Roy having a relatively short career and there's been a number of occasions in the um, trailblazers, you know, sort of history where there's been a lot of, you know, star players going down and um, unfortunate sort of manners and people sort of like to use the word cursed in, uh, in regards to the trailblazers. What are your thoughts about that? And when you hear folks say that about the team, well, I mean, it's life, right? Uh, it's heartbreaking for the individuals who suffered, you know, these injuries. You know, the, the classic is Greg Oden. And I will go down saying Greg Oden was the right pick for the Trailblazers at the time. He was the player that they need. And my God, those 82 games that he played for the Trailblazers were Beautiful. They were a work of art. Like he was so good. And it was just so sad that he was never able to, uh, sustain his full, you know, um, uh, capability, like reach his full potential, uh, as an NBA player. Cause he was amazing. Um, you know, the same with Brandon Roy. And it's just kind of like, all I can think of is I just have to be like glad that we had them. Well, we were here, but I just, when it comes to like curses and bad luck, I feel like probably every franchise has gone through a period of bad luck. And I don't know if that's just because I'm in my own little bubble and I don't know enough about like every single season of the Atlantic Hawks or whatever, but I just feel like it's kind of part of life and the rhythm of life is that, you know, sometimes you think you have a sure thing and then unlucky things happen and you know, your team drafts Sam Bowie instead of Michael Jordan or your team drafts Greg Oden instead of Kevin Durant. <laughs> but I just, you know, it is what it is. I try not to look down on it. And I, I just, you know, wish all the best for those guys. Like I just, uh, there's a lot of us in Portland who, um, you know, just, wish Greg Oden all the best and to see that he has been doing well lately. He finished his degree. He's trying to be an assistant coach like Ohio. He's been spending a lot of time at Ohio state. I'm just glad to see that he's, he's doing well and kind of it, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, ultimately just one team can win a championship and, the NBA has the least amount of parity compared to other sports, um, or at least professional sports in North America. So it's not like everyone can win a championship. It's that's not really the name of the game in, you know, the NBA or anywhere else really. So, you know, I think bad luck is only relative to whoever wins or loses a championship each year. Yeah. I have a really hard time like 
relating to the championship or bust mentality, like just personally, you know, even when I was, you know, playing competitive soccer, like half the time I didn't even like, I wanted to do my best, but like the winning wasn't as important to me as like everybody playing really well and making like magic on the field. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like, that's how watching basketball is to me is like, Okay, the Blazers did not have a great year, but Gary Trent balled out, and that was amazing to me. So I am really happy with how the last year worked out, even if it didn't end up in a championship. Looking at the stepping stones in the process, the process of progress, as I like to say, you know, as long as, you know, you have players who are improving, that's like a stepping stone to the next year. What people don't understand that there there are levels to, you know, winning basketball. And a lot of people in this instant age forget about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's hurting the league, to be honest, is that folks are just so focused on the championship versus just trying to, you know, be happy about the successes for all teams, even if they're, you know, they only win, you know, 15 games or if they're one game away from winning a championship, they all had, you know, they all had a long road to get to that point. That's another show right there. (laughs) My question for you is I got a, I got a favorites question. So who was your favorite blazer of all time and who was the worst coach in blazers history in your opinion? Oh, wow. Well, Damian Lillard is my favorite blazer of all time. It was Clyde Drexler for a long time, but Damien has supplanted him. Just how much that man does for the team, for the community is just, it's all, you know, he's a package deal. He's, he's got it all. He's just fantastic. Worst coach, man. I don't really know because it's been so long. So the coaches that I remember the most, Rick Adelman, PJ Carlissimo, um, Mike Dunleavy, uh, what's, um, who broke his Achilles or he ruptured his Achilles because one day there were so few, so many players were injured. Nate, uh, uh, Yes, Nate McMillan. So many players were injured that he had to suit up and go play. And while he did, he ruptured his Achilles. Um, I don't, I don't know who I think the worst coaches. Do you have an idea? Do you have an opinion on it? <laughs> I'm really bad at picking like worst of anything. <laughs> I, I know. And you know, people as, you know, as fans of teams, people are like, man, I could not stand him when he was here. I just could not. I'm like that about coaches and then players too. But I come to realize that when it comes to players and coaches, it's all about fits, organization, system, because I thought Mark Jackson was a great coach for the Warriors and got them that stepping stone. Without Mark Jackson, there is no Steve Kerr. There are no championships, in my opinion. Um, I don't know how Janelle feels being a Warrior fan. I feel fan. the same way, and we could do a whole segment about that. <laughs> a whole segment about that. And, yeah. You know, I have my rights with Kerr and my, and, you know, people really discount how Mark Jackson got the process along because of the auto, the wild stuff he did 
and even mocked him for putting anointing oil on Steph and calling it magical. No, it's blessed oil. And it yeah. worked. And it worked. Because <laughs> his ankles have been holding up ever since. Yeah. But I I asked that question because a lot of people that are like diehard fans was like, man, I can't wait to get him out of here. But you have to think about the NBA as a business and which way an organization wants to go. Because Billy Donovan walked out on his own. Doc Rivers, they decide to part ways, you know. So you have to think about it from every aspect. So you have to sit down and think about, okay, why didn't this player work out? Why didn't Carmelo Anthony work out in OKC, but he's working out in Portland? Um, why did Carmelo Anthony want to get traded from Denver to New York? And then Denver got all those assets and look at Denver. Now Denver is still kind of cashing in on those assets they got from New York. So you have to think about all of that as a fan. Well, if you really want to think about it, honestly, because some fans don't want to think about anything at all. They just want to be fans and that's it. But I have to think about everything that surrounds decisions that are made because everything is a business decision and an approach Mm-hmm. to the stepping stone to something great. So without James Harden being traded to Houston, would he be as great as he is now? No, no. So mm-hmm. I have to think about that as a fan. That's why I asked you those questions. Well, and it's interesting because I don't know if people, how, how much people outside of Portland understand how tied together Damien and Terry Stoss and CJ are. You know, it's a really popular topic to talk about trading CJ McCollum for a lot of reasons. You know, because, uh, a lot, some people say that Dame and CJ are redundant. Some people say that CJ is the best, you know, has the best contract to be able to attract, you know, to get back, um, you know, a player, um, that will have a big impact. But Dame, and Coach Stotts are incredibly intertwined, and Damon CJ are incredibly intertwined. They're like best friends. And the, you know, I've strongly believe that if CJ leaves, it's because he's decided that he's ready to go. It's not, you know, ready to, he wants to have his own team or something like that. But at this point, like when you watch them play on the field, they're, they're just like to- in total sync. They compliment like all the places like Dame, you know, takes shots from one place. CJ takes shots from the other. Dame does one thing. CJ compliments them and they're just so intertwined. And then the coach, they're so tight that like, I mean, I think we're looking at a situation like people, you know, when they talk about firing stats, like, you don't want to do anything to make Damian Lillard mad. Like <laughs> when, when I, I like, if you're talking about firing Stotts, like what's Damian, like Dame, I, I just don't think Damian Lillard would be okay with that. Damian is like the most loyal person like you've ever heard that. And like firing his coach to me just is like, that just seems like a bridge too far. I would not want to broach that conversation with Damian Lillard and say, but by the way, Damian, we're getting rid of the only coach that you've known in the NBA. I just don't think that would go over very well. And I don't think we'd get the best out of Damian Lillard after that. Because I know Damian Lillard wanted Melo for a couple of years. And this is when, you know, Melo was trying to find a niche and a team to play for. He went from Phil Jackson, ran him out of New York. First of all, Phil ran his coach out of New York and Mike Woodson when they made the playoffs. And they had, I think they won 56 games. You ran Mike Woodson out of town. And then, you know, he drafted uh, Christophs Porzingis. And people were like, who is that? And he turned out to be a pretty good player. And then, you know, you run Melo out of town. And Melo's trying to find his his way 
with OKC, with Houston, and he gets to Portland after Dame's been wanting him to come to Portland for a while. And now, you know, Melo's fitting in. He's a free agent now, and I think they're going to resign him. But you guys have, you know, players coming back. You got Rodney Hood coming back. You got Trevor Reza coming back. So I'm trying to figure out where Melo fits in, but I think that Portland is where Melo wants to be, and I think Portland wants Melo there as well. And I'm really happy for him that he's embraced his role. And I really like the way that Dame and CJ complement each other as well. I know they're very close. Two guys, two smaller guards. CJ's more of a mid-range type of guy. Dame is pulling up from 45 now. So, <laughs> you know, he's expanded his range, expanded his game. They just, that third guy, that third scorer they can count on. I thought it'd be Nurkic and he hurt himself. And I'm like, ah, and then you see him really come alive in the bubble when he was healthy. So I watch a lot of Portland games because I'm a huge Damian Lillard fan. I was a huge fan of him when he was at Weber State. And I really want them to be successful, but this is where the problem might be for Dame. Does your How deep does your loyalty run, run when you really want to win the ring? And that might be, I don't want to say his downfall, but it could potentially be between him winning a ring and him being completely loyal. And I know he doesn't want to leave. And I know that Portland is a small market team. It's kind of hard to get free agents there. So what does he do at that point? It's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, we'll have to have an episode time where we talk about the things that uh, players say uh, and how we decide whether or not we're going to believe him, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> because Damien has said over and over that, winning a championship for Portland is the most important thing. And that if he doesn't win a championship in Portland, like he wants to win it in Portland for Portland and that he's not interested in going somewhere else. And I absolutely believe him that that is what he means, but things could always change. So we'll have to talk about that too. And also this, you know, the small market versus big markets. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a lot of things, ladies that we're going to be able to talk to in the future. I'm so excited for all these conversations we're going to have. Yes, I am too. I, I can't I, wait. I, I'm just hyped about all of this. Yeah. Should we wrap it up here and uh, remind folks about where they can find us on social media? Yes. We are, yes. Uh, Step Back Sisters is our Twitter handle for the podcast. You can find me at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. I know that's like a Absolutely terrible handle. Nobody can ever get it. But at TCB Biggs is where you can find me. Who wants to go next? You can find me at Janelle 12. That is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. You can find me at simply me underscore AV on Twitter. And that's the only social media that I have. Uh, and you can find me at Brit Robotista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. And it's also a mouthful. Um, but I am also on Instagram under the same username. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>